You're listening to The Cutting Edge, presented by Hilleberg the Tentmaker. This is Petra Hilleberg, President and CEO of Hilleberg the Tentmaker. For over 45 years, we have specialized exclusively in building strong, lightweight tents and in never compromising on quality of materials or construction. From the very beginning, we have been family-owned and family-run. Our tents have become the go-to choice for discerning outdoor adventurers all over the world, and especially for those who travel in challenging terrain and conditions and who demand utter reliability from their equipment. Conceived and developed in northern Sweden, our tents are made in Europe, built to last, and offer the ideal balance of high strength, low weight, ease of use, and remarkable comfort. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Cutting Edge. This is Dougal McDonald, editor of the American Alpine Journal, the AHA. Our guest for this episode is Vitaly Musienko, a Californian who was born in Ukraine. His family lived near the Chernobyl nuclear plant and suffered the consequences, and he and his mom eventually emigrated to the United States. At the time, he says he was overweight and apathetic, but he soon found high school sports and became anything but an underachiever. And once he'd found the mountains of California, he never looked back. With various partners, but especially Brian Prince and Daniel Jeffcoach, Vitaly has been one of the most prolific climbers along new routes in the entire history of Sierra Climbing. In less than a decade, he has put up more than 100 grade 3 or longer routes in the Sierra Nevada. Vitaly and his friends did a bunch of new routes this year, but the one he wanted to talk about most was the big time, the first free route up the main prow of the Watchtower in Tacopa Valley. It's a 10-pitch 512 with a long history of attempts, and some are now calling it the Rostrum of Sequoia National Park. Our interviewer for this episode was AHA contributing editor Whitney Clark. She's been a prolific Sierra New Rooter herself in the last few years, doing more than 10 long new routes in these mountains. We thought it would be fun to put them together for the cutting edge. Why don't we start off with you giving me a bit of background about how long you've been climbing in the Sierra for? Um, how I got into climbing, uh, God, it's complicated. A uh, few years before I tried to climb anything that has not been done, I was introduced to climbing in a fairly unorthodox fashion. As I got done with nursing school, my boxing coach invited me to go climb Mount Shasta. And since this is the Cutting Edge podcast, let me tell you about how Cutting Edge this ascent was. At the time, I did the Muay Thai and boxing, worked as a bouncer and uh, as a security guard on other days that I wasn't in school. So it's not your typical background for a nurse. And before that, I used to wait as a, um, I used to wait at 300 pounds as a 16-year-old. So not a typical background for a climber either. Um, when my boxing coach invited me to climb the 14,000-foot mountain, I didn't know there were real mountains in the state. Uh, so my kit included a backpack I used in high school, um, a light, unrated, borrowed sleeping bag, no sleeping pad, no boots, no crampons uh, or ice axe. Uh, when we went to the store before um, before getting on the mountain, uh, the direct quote from my coach uh, was, fuck that, when I told him we should rent, rent an ice <laughs> We drove from the Bay Area 
which is at sea level on Saturday morning, rented a ski pole instead uh, and hiked up from uh, about 7,000 feet to 10 and a half. Uh, so through Alpine style, uh, I thought he knew how it's done because he was stationed in Afghanistan in army. And I associated that country with mountains. Uh, so anyone who was stationed in Afghanistan by default has more experience in the mountains. And uh, as I never camped out prior to that, never gone hiking in the mountains, um, I just assumed he knows what he's doing. My hiking experience was limited to walking around San Francisco, which is, although it has uh, some hills and objective danger from all the Croxy ranges, it's different. It's not like going up Shasta. So we ended up uh, altitude sick, and even though we both were in great shape compared to most people, I felt super humbled. Um, after that, I didn't go hiking or climbing till early that winter when my new co-worker found out I was in Shasta. He thought I was a climber as well. And I told him the story uh, and he slowly taught me about the proper gear for hiking. And then we took a snow camping class and ended up climbing Mount Whitney in March of 2010. And since then, I just got more passionate about climbing. Um, I'm very happy I found climbing because even when I religiously did boxing, I can't say I was ever as passionate or felt um, it was the right thing for a long run. Not something I felt I would do till old age. Uh-huh. Um, when I'm in the nature, on the other hand, they feel just right. I feel more comfortable camping out for an extended period of time than uh, in large gatherings. Like yeah. I feel more comfortable being alone than, you know, being on a podcast. This is uh, very new to me. Yeah. Well, you're doing great. Um, when did you start putting up new routes in the Sierra? And did you kind of start by climbing trade routes and then realize the potential for new lines or kind of how did you get started with that? Yeah. Um, even when I didn't lead climb, I was curious to find unclimbed peaks and even asked where they were on the climbing forum one time before I knew how to rock climb. Yeah. I really don't know why. Uh, Maybe just reading uh, that I've done in the past as a kid, um, like books about all the adventures, like Jules Verne, uh, around the world in eight days type of books uh, where um, you're just... uh, I don't know. You just uh, want to find an adventure in this world. And I thought um, that it's possible to do in the mountains. Um, so, yeah, we I got into uh, climbing new terrain after I did a fair bit of uh, established. I think I climbed every every single classic uh, mentioned in the Super Topo guidebook before I got into uh, climbing uh, new routes. And having the opportunity to find a new five-star classic, um, it just seemed so appealing to me because uh, it's like playing lottery. You don't know what you're going to get. And mm-hmm. sometimes you find it. Sometimes you um, you find jackpots out there, even though people think uh, it's just uh, all pile of garbage, but it's not. Yeah, the Sierra just has so much rock. It's just endless. So... Were you 
researching different areas or you just kind of spent a bunch of time hiking and climbing and then you just saw, you know, virgin walls that you wanted to go climb or were you, how was like, what was your research process like? Well, um, on my first year that I got into um, scrambling in this year, it was 2010. And um, I took part in the, this event called the Sierra Challenge. And uh, you basically do 10 different peaks in uh, 10 different days, and you can do bonus peaks if you want. Um, but it's basically an endurance event uh, where you go out and climb um, a bunch of obscure peaks uh, with people uh, that basically are doing the same. Uh, and there's not, not really rules to that. It's just uh, 10 uh, peaks and 10 days from 10 different trailheads. And I saw a lot of rock out there. Um, I just saw a lot of different uh, uh, peaks that I never knew about. Um, and then uh, when I got more into technical climbing, um, I would hike out to different walls and mountains and I would see things and I was always curious. So how about that one over there? Because you see so much other terrain out in the distance uh, that seems appealing that um, you just feel like it's easy to find uh, a new goals for the future. Yeah. I didn't uh, do as much uh, uh, research using things like Google Earth, although I feel like it would be very helpful in general, but I feel like just getting out into the nature will, uh, you will be able to find um, a lot of climbing just by being out there just because uh, uh the walls all uh, the walls are endless well that's really like the purest style of exploration is just getting out there and you know finding yeah and out i like to get out there <laughs> yeah, so just you, to see a lot of terrain yeah you definitely do um so how many first ascents do you think you've completed in the sierra over the past few years i uh keep a, a list of them uh, so I know I have about over 110 uh, first ascents that are at least grade three, uh-huh. from yeah. grade three to grade six. Not that many grade six first ascents, but yeah, it's just about over 110. Wow. And are most of these routes, like most of the bigger ones, are you completing them alpine style? Like, you know, you're just going ground up or are you coming kind of coming back and putting in bolts or kind of what's your process with that? Most of them um, in, in the mountains themselves, I don't even carry a bolt kit on most of the big routes now. Um, okay. It's just a lot more um, to carry. And yeah, but when it comes to front country, more of a front country first ascent when you're trying to climb something very difficult up a uh, um, terrain that is sort of blank, uh, then you're definitely bringing a bolt kit and uh, you usually end up uh, um, repelling after maybe climbing half of the route uh, or um, it, it just depends from wall to wall, but uh, you end up coming back most of the time if you're trying to climb something that turns out to be very hard like um a few years ago i had one experience when i'd say on bob's creek wall um i climbed a, a route which ended up 
being 512 uh with about 18 pitches um most of which were 511 and from yeah. if i count all the days i put in into the first ascent to uh completing the first free ascent i think it took close to like 25 days but most of the time uh, i i like to just go out somewhere uh remote and try to find a wall that is steep uh, uh yet completed in a long day or less than that yeah um so tell me a bit about your summer um this summer when you completed the a new route on the watchtower so mm-hmm. you that that was a pretty significant route so why is that and can you give me a bit of history on the peak well if i take it a little um take it a, a little bit like a few months prior to that um richard lever c uh contacted me and we spoke about a few possibilities that he thought of um which for those who don't know him, he has done a lot of exploration in the Sierra um, prior to um, me and Brian. And uh, he just seems like a very positive guy who is excited uh, to have some of the things that he didn't get to do uh, to be done by other people. Um, so he told me to go and try um, climbing a, a lineup um north dome in king's canyon and uh north dome has a lot of climbs on it but he told us to climb this clean looking prow uh which goes up close to the middle of the formation it it looked pretty featureless um and you know i was hesitant about starting up it because it just seemed blank but then uh i went out just scoped it out and then came back with my other friend daniel we ended up coming back to three times uh, before we were able to complete it. And uh, so Richard was the one who told us to do that. And then um, he told me and Brian that we should uh, also work on the uh, line uh, he attempted in the past with Jay Smith. And then uh, he came back later with Scott Cosgrove which I'm, I'm not sure um, how many people have heard or not he- heard of Scott Cosgrove, but he might have been uh, the best technical rock climber um, that ever lived uh, back in, you know, the 80s and 90s. He completed Southern Bell, a free climb Southern Bell, which is uh, an insane route on the south face of Half Dome. Yeah. Um, he might have been the first American to uh, climb 514, uh, so when Richard told us that we should attempt that line, I kind like I, I was. I told him that we're no Scott Cosgrove. I don't think we belong in that <laughs> wall. <laughs> but he told us that uh, he he thinks that uh, we'd be able to find some variations and just try, just try. He was very encouraging. Um, so we did. We actually um, tried it last year and uh, we did not find um a free climbable way yet yet we 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 seem to think that it could be possible but then we would have to clean um a lot of the wall um 
a lot of the cracks on the bottom were completely filled with um, with bushes and uh, uh, mainly dirt. Is that like a bit lower in altitude compared to the other mountains in the Sierra? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, the top of the watchtower is uh, around 9,000 feet okay. or so. Um, it's not too far away from uh, the trailhead either. Um, but it's a very striking formation. And uh, actually, Brian and I um, began to climb some of our first first ascents um, in Tokopa Valley, right across uh, from the Watchtower on uh, uh, these clean uh, Tuolumne-like domes called the, uh, the Tokopa Domes. And from there, we would always look at the Watchtower thinking that, oh, my God, wish there was a, a free line that went up the Northeast Prow. It's just such a beautiful prow that always is, uh, you know, standing out in the um, in the distance. Um, but because of uh, the history behind it, because uh, we knew um, all these, uh, you know, some of the stronger climbers in the past have uh, uh, tried to find a, a way and that would free climb up it. We just uh, didn't really seem to believe that it was possible for a long time. So basically, Richard convinced us to go and put work into it. He was like, how are you going to feel when someone else does it? <laughs> and I would tell him, there's so much rock, I would probably be, be fine. <laughs> yeah. um, there's so much rock. I, I don't think I have to get to everything uh, that I want to get to. But he was very convincing. Um, and it's a great thing that he was. <laughs> So you guys um, finished the route this summer. Yeah, yeah. So is it a completely independent line from the other routes on the peak? No, um, it begins on the Rowell route, uh, which was uh, completed, I think, in 1970. Mm -hmm. um, and then it climbs some independent terrain and also climbs... Uh, um, a part of all along the watchtower, which uh, John Long and some, and I think his uh, the last name of his partner was Harrison. Um, he put it up, and they were trying to find something free as well. So that's another reason why uh, we didn't think it was going to be possible. It's like John Long, Jay Smith, uh, you know, Scott Cosgrove, Richard Leversey, like. <laughs> Yeah, We're heavy far. hitters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So even though um, the free variations, uh, the most of the attempts were up the uh, Rowell route, which uh, kind of goes off the prow and into this uh, uninspiring gully, mm -hmm. uh, we were able to piece it together and continue climbing straight up over uh, several large overhangs up the middle. That was really cool um, finish to the route. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Yeah, it was uh, actually just uh, um, a few friends uh, just repeated it um, a week or so ago. Oh, cool. One of them said um, it, it's the rostrum of the sequoia. Really? So it's always nice to hear. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to check it out. For sure. It, it's really good. And uh, the more traffic it receives, the less dirt there will be, and the more yeah. enjoyable it will be. Brian and I actually fixed uh, uh, ropes on the whole bottom, and uh, we put in a couple of days uh, into just straight up scrubbing uh -huh. dirt out of the cracks. But it's worth it, I, I feel like. <laughs>
Did you guys put any bolts in or is it all clean? No, we, we put bolts in. You did? Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it has a, a fair bit of face climbing. Oh, okay. Connect different features. Awesome. And what, what does it go at? A 512. Rad. Like low 512. Yeah. And it's mostly 511. Cool. Um, well, do you think that there are other areas in the Sierra that have yet to be explored, or do you think it's kind of getting tapped out? Oh, I, I believe there's lifetimes of rock out there. The future generations will not have any trouble finding unclimbed rock. Like a few years ago, I've done three new routes on the east face of Mount Whitney. And I mean, if there's new routes to do on Mount Whitney, then uh, I'm sure there's a lot more to do on uh, other formations uh, that are more remote and so on. Yeah. Uh, this year, Brian and a couple other people um, went out to Lake Basin. Um, and there's so many walls up in Lake Basin that I feel like you can just go there and climb for you know, a whole year without running out of things to do. I mean, do you think that um, that people aren't exploring as often just because there's so much good climbing, like the Hulk and other things that are so close? Yeah, of course. Um, if you think about the Sierra in general, it's a huge mountain range, right? And usually our local climbers uh, don't... Like we don't challenge ourselves um, as much as we can. Like it, this year is not known for, let's say, winter climbing. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, there's so many um, peaks that are deep in this year that you can have a whole winter expedition and uh, find true alpinism in this year. Yet, yet no one does yeah. it because uh, why do that if you can just go and the uh, you know, climb and climb and multi-pitch routes in Yosemite that winter. Yeah. Well, also you have to almost enjoy a bit of suffering to put up new routes in the Sierra because the approaches are definitely pretty burly out there. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, since I got into mountaineering, um, into rock climbing through mountaineering, um, I kind of enjoy the whole backpacking thing. Uh, I don't mind hiking for a while because uh, it also is scenic and, and then uh, I get to stop in uh, some of these places and just do photography. Um, I feel yeah. like uh, it's not like suffering to me, but if uh, one is a straight up rock climber, of course, hiking for 18 miles will not be appealing. But then again, <laughs> let's say the watchtower, that's like only a couple miles from the trailhead. So you don't have to suffer to find uh, uh, really good climbing that hasn't been done before. Maybe lack of information about the place uh, is, uh, and lack of modern guidebooks is keeping people um, out, kind of like the unknown. There's many guidebooks to Yosemite, and it's really easy to figure things out. But when you go into a place that it's kind of like off the beaten path, it's a, a, uh, it's not as simple. Um, well, speaking about guidebooks, you're you're working on one, right? Yeah. So are you going to include a lot of these routes you've done in there, or kind of like what's what are you focusing on for that book? We're hoping to focus on the whole Sierra and uh, uh, to include more of the backcountry uh, climbing in there. So, for example, um, all the things that we put up in Kings Canyon proper will not be there just because uh, it's uh, 
it's so roadside that it's not really high Sierra. We want to come up with the best uh, uh, resource for backcountry Sierra climbing that has been done uh, because it, it, if no one documents it by the time uh, um, most of the people that put the climbs up, uh, you know, lose their memory completely, a lot of these things will not be documented and it's almost like documenting history in a way. So we already have uh, over 600 routes um, in the guide listed and wow. we have probably 300 topos and yeah, it's insane. I don't even know if uh, we will be able to um, include all of it into one book or if we will have uh, uh, two books. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. But you probably like have learned so much through that process. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it makes me go out and repeat climbs that have maybe never been repeated before. So it's uh, definitely a process that takes a lot of time. It's really hard to juggle, you know, trying to work full time, um, work on a guidebook, put up your own first ascents, repeat routes, train for climbing and, you know, like think of some sort of uh, um, out of the country expeditions to go on. It's, uh, yeah, I, I feel like uh, one of those hamsters uh, running around in the wheel at times where it's, it's just too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever like relax? Or? Sometimes. <laughs> well, I have a cat. I'll have a cat now. So it's uh, really relaxing to have him around. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> a cat and a girlfriend. My my life is uh, my climbing uh, career is over. <laughs> okay. Um, were you inspired by any of the past Sierra climbers or any certain friends? Like, who has really inspired you in your climbing career? It's hard to point to one or a few human inspirations. I feel like mountains are the most inspiring uh, to me when uh, when it comes to climbing. Um, because they're surreal, there are no two-faced bullshit, there is no acting nice or fake. Uh, but if I was to pick a human inspiration, I would have to talk about people um, I climbed with and met along the way. I feel like I picked up a, at least uh, one lesson from everyone I climbed with more than a few times. Um, early Early on, one of the people that stands out as an inspiration is uh, Ben Horn. Um, year after I got into mountaineering, I met him in Talkeetna after climbing Denali Unguided. He was about to go on uh, the mountain and uh, we exchanged numbers um, as he was also a California climber. Um, so he was an, an incredible athlete. At the time, I was a beginner, uh, barely leading 5'8". Uh, he ran ultra marathons, um, climbed big peaks in Tinshan and uh, was in a master's program. So he was just super well-rounded. So after his return, he took, uh, took me up uh, Dark Star and the Sun Ribbon Naret, mm -hmm. which are both uh, long 510s. Um, and to me, it was mind-blowing. Um, it was on back-to-back -back days. Uh, it was kind of like a college senior taking a high schooler to football practice. It was if if a whole another world of possibilities was open to me. Unfortunately, after 
I went to see him complete Western States 100 ultra marathon. Um, he went to climb in Cordillera Blanca and passed away when presumably a cornice collapsed. Mm. I was crushed uh, um, because it w- he was the first person I actually knew that was killed in, mo- in the mountains. And then in 2013, after own trip to Cordillera Blanca, I returned to the, to the Sierra and dedicated a car-to-car climb of uh, the Evolution Traverse to him. Oh, I had, yeah, uh, it was a bit crazy. I have not done uh, the, that climb prior. Um, and uh, that was only three years after I got into mountaineering. Uh, the whole mm-hmm. thing is about 35 mile round trip with, I don't know, 15 or 16,000 feet of elevation gain over nine, 13,000 foot summits with difficulties up to five, nine. That seemed insane especially after completing, you know, a five-day work week and driving to the trailhead from the Bay Area. But Ben uh, loved the quote that basically said, great fa- uh, great failure is better than mediocre success. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I just connected to that, and I see a lot of beauty in that, especially when it comes to something challenging like climbing mountains. If, if I know I can do something, um, it does not seem to be as appealing in the game of exploring personal limits. I guess another question. So when do you think kind of was like the great eras of climbing in the Sierra? Like, do you think that it was, you know, back when Galen Rowell was putting up first ascents in the seventies or, you know, when Dave Nettle was exploring or do you think it's now? Well, Dave Nettle is still exploring. He is. That's yes, you know. And uh, w- one of the people you didn't mention is Brendan Tao. Okay. Um, if you look through the AJ over uh, in the last, I don't know, like 20 years, it seems like he's always been contributing. It, it's interesting. A few year, a few weeks ago, um, actually went out and joined him and a few other friends of his um, on this little climbing trip to a whole dome that he was developing over the last 20 years which has like over 20 long routes on it it's kind of wild but basically since he started to develop that wall um no one has climbed on it still and it's not super hidden or anything like that it's huge too where is it oh i I can't it's a secret yeah okay it just tells you how much exploration can still be done and has been done and will be done. I feel like uh, every era has something cool about it, right? Like a few years ago, I wrote uh, an article uh, called uh, The Golden Ages Now in the uh, American Alpine Journal. And uh, mm-hmm. The golden age is a term applied to a period of time um, for climbing in Yosemite around 50s and 60s. I believe the term can also be used subjectively. And to me, it means the time when you as an individual have enough health, psych and skills to go out and enjoy the mountains. Our time on Earth is uh, very limited, if you think about it, very short. So psyching yourself out because supposedly the golden age has passed sounds grim so i feel like every era is the old golden age 
times change, people change, um, our culture changes, but uh, the pleasure individuals receive from uh, climbing doesn't change. Thanks to Whitney and Vitaly for coming on the show, especially since they both had colds when they did their interview. Vitaly mentioned his photography in the interview, and you should definitely check out his Instagram. He's become a very fine landscape photographer in the tradition of Sierra photographer climbers like Galen Rowell and Claude Fiddler, David Wilson, and Vern Clevenger. You can find it at Mountain Gangsta. That's M-T-N-G-A-N-G-S-T-A. While you're there, check out the AAJ Instagram. You'll find photos of new routes, unclimbed peaks all over the world, and our lesser-known Badasses of Climbing series. We're at American Alpine Journal. Thanks, as always, to Hilleberg the Tentmaker for sponsoring this show. Till next time, this is Dougal McDonald, editor of the AHA, wishing you happy climbs.